0: good to see you guys here um, this evening church at five on this uh, Sunday the 17th of March St Patrick's Day so yeah okay <laughs> big uh, big fans of St Patrick's Day here a lot of Irish people here this evening or not as the case may be so I am um, that's a challenging text that we just heard there I hope um, that it was challenging for you as you listened or as you followed along in your physical Bible or in your App on your phone or your tablet, as Brandon said. Um, It certainly certainly challenged me. There's a lot. I think it fits with the um, announcement we saw a few moments ago for the marathon, because as as Peter goes through that list of virtues, of spiritual qualities that he enjoins upon all of us as Christians to have, he adds one to the other and they go on and on and on. And it it can be like a, a real spiritual marathon that he is enjoining on those who read this letter, those who hear this text. So I think it's a challenging word, and there's so much in here for us to discover, and so I'm so keen to jump into this text, or dive into it, as the case may be, with you here tonight. Sorry, that's getting a bit old, isn't it? Diving and jumping. So I've entitled, I'm, I'm not usually one for sermon titles, I leave that up to the person on the projector to name these sermons, but I've come up with a, with a, a title for the message this evening, and that is, the title is this: How we grow is how we know. Basically, that's what we're looking at this evening from this text. How we know, how we grow is how we know. That is to say that it's it's how we grow actively. This is an active text this evening. How we grow actively in our Christian lives, Peter is telling us here, is how we therefore know that our calling as Christians is sure, is really valid that we really are Christ's disciples, His followers, and that we therefore really will attain to the kingdom. How we grow actively, what our lives actually look like as Christians, the spiritual qualities that we grow in, Peter is saying here, that's how we can know that we truly are Christ's disciples, we truly are His followers, and therefore we really will attain to the eternal kingdom, as he finished here in verse 11 of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Jesus Christ. In Jesus' words in the Gospels, he puts it shortly and succinctly. He says, a good tree brings forth good fruit. It's that fruit, that active growth of the tree, that bringing forth of good fruit, which shows in the end that that tree is good and will not be chopped down and cast into the fire. By their fruit... You shall know them. Those are the words of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, for many of us, indeed, I hope for all of us who truly need it, uh, the text that we just read a few moments ago together this evening is like a divine wake-up call for us as Christians. At least it was for me uh, this week as I studied it. And therefore, if it is a divine wake-up call, if it is God waking us up, sort of shaking us awake to, to look at the current status of our Christian lives then it's a wake-up call that we should heed that we should listen to that's that's part of the function of the Word of God being read or taught in the church is that it's a it's an opportunity that the Spirit of God takes week by week Sunday by Sunday to speak to the people of God to speak to the church to 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 hit us where we are in our lives at any given time pay attention to this word, says the Spirit of God here this evening. And there's an earnestness, there's a seriousness about Peter's words here in this letter, even as there is also, of course, a fatherly affection, a love for the people he's writing to. I don't know if you noticed, twice in the text this evening, Peter says, make every effort. That's where we get that active component from, make every effort. That's what you're going to have to do if you want to run 42 kilometers on April 7th. It's now March 17th. And if you haven't run at all, you would need to make every effort to make it those 42 kilometers or you will fail. Possibly you will stumble and falter and die. No, in all, that's, sorry, that's a bit, bit harsh, isn't it? But it's happened. It's happened. But that's what Peter's getting at. Make every effort. You're going to have to put it, if you wanted to run that marathon now, you're going to have to make it top priority in your life. Otherwise, it's just not going to happen. That's just, that is to say, Peter is saying here, try as hard as you can. Put your back into this. Work up a sweat. This is hard work, but it's work you need to be about doing. So what Peter is saying here is the Christian, that means all of us, myself here and all of you, we are to confirm our, our calling, that we are truly called by Christ. That's what he wants us to do. And as we unfold this letter in the next few weeks, we're going to see why he wants them to do that. Namely, he's concerned about false teaching and false teachers which are plaguing these churches. And therefore, he, he really wants those Christians to be sure that they truly belong to Jesus and they have truly understood the true gospel. So, he wants them to confirm that they really, they really are Christ's disciples, that they really belong to Jesus. And he says, the way you do this... Is basically, he's unfolding that teaching, a good tree brings forth good fruit. The way you show that you truly belong to Jesus is by growing in the things of the spiritual life, in the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And so, what he's actually saying is, because he then moves it towards the end of the passage, if you're following along in verse 11, he says, if you do these things, verse 11, you'll never stumble and you will receive a rich welcome into the kingdom, the eternal kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ, he's saying that the fruit of your spiritual tree is necessary that you attain final salvation. That's what he's saying. The fruit of your spiritual life is necessary that you attain final salvation. That might, that might uh, surprise a number of you the way I've formulated that, but uh, we'll look into it in a few moments few moments time. Brandon told us last Sunday, when we opened up this letter, our, our first sermon on Second Peter, that this was Peter's second and final letter to the churches in the provinces of Asia, that is today, modern Turkey. And this letter came shortly before Peter's death. And indeed, in this letter, he says that he knows that his time is drawing near. Peter knew that the time had come for him to Die. And if we remember, he had a prophetic word from the Lord in John 21 that he would have to die for his Savior. And Peter knew now that this time had approached. And in a sense, this is his last testament, the last word that he can send while he's still alive to these churches in order to encourage them, in order to strengthen them. As Brandon said last Sunday, no, he doesn't talk about how the weather is in Rome he doesn't talk about how the weather in rome weather is in rome he has matters of serious concern to impart to the believers in these churches in the province provinces of asia and we'll see as i said a moment ago when we get into the second chapter of this uh, letter in a few weeks time that what peter is now concerned about here is false teachers who are destroying the flock, destroying the sheep. You remember a few weeks ago we talked about pastors being shepherds looking after the flock. Again, to use the picture that Jesus uses in the Gospels, Peter is worried about wolves tearing the sheep, tearing the flock apart. And so he writes to strengthen these Christians. He wants to make them strong. He wants to make these churches strong. These instructions in this letter are almost like a a vaccine. I think that's how you say it, a vaccine to keep them strong. To protect them. Peter wants them to stay the course, to finish that marathon, the race of the Christian life, not to stumble, not to falter, not to fall away from the true path. Peter wants them to attain the eternal kingdom of God. He wants them to inherit eternal life. He wants them to go into the new heavens and the new earth, which he'll unfold in chapter 3 of this letter. He doesn't want them to make a shipwreck of their faith not to finish the race and therefore that's why that's where the strength for this command comes from because of the danger because of the risk because of the seriousness you need to make every effort to grow in your active christian life take your faith in jesus christ your commitment to christ as his follow and add goodness and then add knowledge and then add self-control and perseverance that's what he's commanding the Christians in these churches. And before we look at our the verses for this evening, we're going through verse from um, through verses five through eleven. We have to get a misunderstanding out of the way, and that's why uh, Brandon read to us tonight from verse three. So he included verses three and four, which we looked at last week. And I think it's crucial that we do this; otherwise, that we get this misunderstanding out of the way. Otherwise, there's a risk of our misunderstanding. Peter's command here this evening. The first, or the misunderstanding that I want to address tonight, that we want to get out of the way, is our misunderstanding of what by faith alone means. That's what I said a few moments ago that Peter is saying here, that the fruit of our Christian lives is necessary that we attain final salvation. And some of you might have thought, okay, is he saying that we're not saved by faith alone? Are we saved by faith and what we do? When I read, or when I read this week, verses 5 through 11, where we are told to add this and this and this to our faith, um, I think we, at least that was the way I, my tendency is to is to react to this text by ignoring it, by, by reading it and taking it on board, but not really hearing it in its full strength or emphasis. And I think the reason why I tend to do that, and I'm sure that probably many of you will also tend to do that, is that... We believe that we're saved by faith alone and basically this doctrine goes like this we're not saved by what we do but by what Christ has done we're not saved by our good works earning favor before God but by Christ's finished work for us on the cross we're saved by God's grace and by his love for us not by how holy or how good we are that is we're saved by faith alone. And I would say that, let me say that right near here at here at the outset, all these statements are definitely true. I affirm them. We at Calvary Chapel affirm them because we believe that that is exactly what the Bible teaches, what Jesus teaches, what his apostles teach, that we are indeed saved by faith alone. But the, the next step that many of us, including myself, would tend to take theref- is, is therefore sure It's a bonus if we have some moral virtue, excellent if we have a bit of perseverance and self-control added in, great if you've got a bit of godliness, but if not, no harm done, not to worry. And that's not right, because if we think that, then we're going to miss Peter's command, his encouragement, his exhortation here, or else we'll take really lightly what he gives us here as of the utmost seriousness. And if we do this, then we'll actually misunderstand what it means to be saved by faith alone. So by faith alone means this, that our faith, our tr- that is our trusting in Christ, our cleaving to, our clinging to Christ for a salvation, is the only grounds, the only basis by which God grants to us the righteousness of Christ. That's the doctrine that Paul lays out in Romans chapter four three through five in chapter four that we're saved by our faith alone so that god when he decides to give us to grant to us the righteousness of christ he does so on the basis of our faith alone and not on the basis that is the the grounds of any other thing only on the basis of our faith he counts us righteous in christ because we place our trust in christ that was abraham's faith That was Paul's faith, and that is our faith. Not on the basis of anything we do. And that, I want to just pause here for a moment and say, that is the astounding, glorious joy and hope of the good news of the gospel for the most wretched of all of us sinners. Christ's righteousness is enough. Christ's righteousness is truly enough. It doesn't come down to anything we do or have done place your faith, simply place your faith in Christ and you are washed clean. And if you haven't been washed clean, if you haven't placed your trust in, in Christ, then let me appeal to you tonight on the basis of this true doctrine of the gospel to do so, to be washed clean of your sins tonight. But then we need to ask the question, what kind of faith is this? What kind of faith is this that God looks at in order to grant us righteousness of christ and the bible tells us that there is living faith and there is dead faith which in reality is no faith at all and when we, we went through the book of james here at church at five here on a sunday evening and what we saw what james says that faith without works is dead that is what does that mean faith shows itself to be alive to be visible to be real by working itself out visibly In our lives tangibly it's not that by doing works by doing good things we therefore make our faith real rather by by the the outworking of the spirit by the outworking of that living water which we've received by faith we show that we truly have that faith that we truly are relying on Christ trusting in him so we are saved by faith alone but as the reformers said But we are saved by a faith which isn't alone that faith is the only grounds for our salvation but it isn't alone because it it it's like that faith is alive it brings things brings forth spiritual life in our lives it's accompanied by virtue by doing good otherwise it's dead and it isn't faith no matter what we claim so we need to get that misunderstanding out of the way and that's why It's crucial for us to read verses 3 and 4 before we come to the strength of Peter's exhortation to make every effort in verse 5. Why? Because because in verse 3 and 4, we see what God has already done for us. That's the foundation. I'll read them to you again very briefly. God or Christ's divine power has given us this is such a fantastic promise, everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. So through these, through his glory and goodness, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them, namely through his promises, we might participate, share in the divine nature, share in fellowship with the tri- with the triune God. And it's by these promises that we've escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. I think that's, that's an awesome statement, verse 3. I want to emphasize it again. It's Christ's divine power that has given us everything we need for life and goodness. Christ is for us with His divine power. And these things have been given to us because we know Jesus Christ. So, this is not our own effort. This is not our own good works to earn this from God or to earn His favor. Christ is all for us. He's given us everything we need. That's the foundation and He's given it on the basis of His glory and excellence, His achievement as Savior. And this is the massive and and glorious foundation that god is for us god is for you christ has given you everything you need he has called you he has saved you he has changed you god's adopted us into his family that's the foundation that we cannot miss we need to have that in place before we progress to verse five god's work precedes our work He's given provision, power, promise, and participation. And we dare not forget that. And so on the basis of that foundation now, let us move into verse 5 and following. Let me read verse 5 and 7 to you again. For this very reason, for what reason? For the reason that I just gave you. Because God and Christ have done all this for you, therefore, on this basis... Make every effort to add to your faith, goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. As I said before, we tend to believe that what I'm calling virtue, these things are virtues, that is, active growth in Christ-likeness in the Christian life, we tend to think of that, at least I do myself, and you can correct me if I'm wrong at the end. We tend to think of these things as low priority and in reality we need to be given a kick in the backside not to be spiritually lazy this is just such a kick spiritual growth like anything else in life requires diligent ongoing effort if you want to get fit again if you want to run that marathon you are going to require diligent ongoing effort you can't just take a magic pill and then oh yeah i can run a marathon you can't just put your bible under your pillow at night and wake up and you have like, I've memorized the book of Hebrews. That's just that's not how it works. That's why Peter says, make every effort. Literally, it says in the original, by applying all diligence, furnish or supply these things to your life. Growth in virtue is of utmost importance and it deserves utmost effort. And that's my prayer. I was thinking, Tonight, as I thought about this text, what do we at Calvary Chapel, what do we at Church at Five need to hear? I think, and and what do I need to hear? I think I need to hear the force of these imperatives, this command. I I need to hear it and really let it hit me. This is of utmost importance and deserves utmost effort. Now, there are eight qualities, eight virtues that Peter mentions here. I think it fits well that faith starts the list. Faith in God is the foundation, the foundational building block. And it also fits well that love concludes the list because love ultimately is the supreme evidence that we really are believers. Paul said love is the goal of Christian teaching. It's the most excellent way, he says in his hymn to love in 1 Corinthians 12 and 13. It's the virtue that sums up all other virtues. It's the cardinal Christian virtue. Faith, hope and love, the greatest of these is love. Love. And I think we can say anyone who possesses true Christian love will possess all other virtues that are listed in this group of eight. So faith is the root and love is the goal and the climax of the Christian life. And between uh, faith and love are six other virtues that Peter says we should strive after. And it doesn't seem to me that the order here is particularly important, as if we can only grow in goodness once we have knowledge Sorry, only grow in knowledge once we have goodness, if you're following along. Uh, rather, what I sense here is a forward motion. Again, coming back to that, ish, to that um, picture of the marathon, we're running to forward towards a goal. Peter wants us to be moving forward, to have a devotion, a commitment, a desire, a hunger to pursue these spiritual virtues that they would be increasing. We see that in verse 8, that they, they should be abounding and increasing in our lives, that we'd be putting all that we have into moving forward and growing in following Christ and being His disciple. Let's go, Peter is saying, let's go forward. So, having said that, let's look very briefly. We can't go into detail now on all of these virtues, but let's briefly look at each one of them. So, if you've got your Bible open, we'll be starting here we are at goodness. 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 The word here behind goodness means excellence of character. It means doing things that are worthy of praise. All of these words, obviously, in Greek, in the original, so they have meanings going back beyond their use in the Bible, back to ancient Greek culture as well. Basically, goodness is is the idea here is to bring the finest character, bring integrity to your commitment to Christ, to your faith in Christ as His follow as His follower. Bring the finest character and integrity to your commitment to Christ. Bring excellence of character, moral virtue, things that are worthy of praise, civic virtue, things that are good for the common good. Sorry, things that are of benefit to the common good. That's what Peter wants us to strive after. And then he says, knowledge. Knowledge, that is comprehension, understanding of things, the deep things of God. I just want to encourage us here, we shouldn't be afraid of theology. That is the word about God or the the doctrine or the teaching of God. We shouldn't be afraid of the deep things. The Bible says, yes, there are some things which are a mystery, but everything else is given to you and your children. That's what it says in Deuteronomy. And we should, in some sense, be ashamed if we've been long in Christ's school as his follower, and we've learned very little about who God is. Peter is saying, strive to comprehend and know God. Love the Lord your God with all your mind. Then self-control, self-control is the restraint of one's own emotions, impulses, and desires. I found here in the dictionary, in the the Greek dictionary here, this excellent sentence, I I find it really brings it to a point. Self-control is being able to refuse what your body wants to do. You're going to need that if you're going to run that marathon. Your body wants to eat that cake, and you have to say, no. Now, that's a relatively light-hearted uh, example there. Well, perhaps, perhaps light-hearted for some, not for others. But self-control, being able to refuse what your body wants to do, being able to restrain your own emotions, impulses and desires to bring them under control in a healthy way. This is the same word used in Galatians 5 for one of the fruits of the Spirit, self-control. Perseverance is the next one. That is a steadfastness, holding strong in the face of difficult times. And yet, and also holding out, bearing up in the face of difficulty and suffering. Not falling to pieces, not falling apart, not losing sight of the goal, pressing on. And this is is so crucial for the real Christian life, Not the fake Christian life where Jesus loves you and has a great plan for your life. And as soon as you come to faith in Jesus, everything's going to be good. You're never going to have any other problems to deal with. It's all going to be sweet. That's the fake Christian life. The real Christian life is, if you would be my disciple, take up your cross daily and follow me. Be prepared to die. That's where we're going. We're going to Jerusalem. I'm going to die. Are you willing to die with me? And to do that, the real Christian life, you're going to need perseverance. Peter says, make every effort to get it. Make every effort to get it. It's the virtue needed to stand firm in your commitment to Jesus over the long haul. It's the virtue virtue you're going to need in your spiritual life at kilometer number 39 and 40 and 41. It's getting pretty tired. You're getting pretty tired at that that distance. Godliness. Godliness here is, is a reverent awe and respect and fear of God in all of life. It's that you desire devotion. You desire right worship. Your, your heart, when you come into a church, is you desire that God be honored. That the, that the, the songs of praise or the readings would be honorable to God. That, um, that the teaching of His Word would not, be, um, would not be shallow and disrespectful, but would be honorable because you, you have this, this sense of awe about who God is and, who, and, what his char- and what his character is like. That it wounds you when you hear in the public square, God's name slandered, his name abused. This is godliness, a reverent fear and awe and respect for God in all of life. And then, brotherly kindness. The word there in Greek is, of course, Philadelphia. A love for the brothers and sisters. This originally meant, obviously, love for your own family members, your blood relations, those who were siblings in your own family. But, of course, things have changed in the Christian community. We are now closer as spiritual brother and sisters to each other than we are to our blood relations if they are not followers of Christ. So, Peter is saying here we need to have that true love for each other as sisters and brothers in Christ. And finally, love agape, an esteem, an affection, a regard for others, universal in scope. This is not just focused on those in the church with us. It expects, it's a, it's, love is something that expects nothing in return, that esteems and has affection and regard for all others. I like how one commentator here uh, on this passage, he puts it this way, And I think this is a very good reminder, certainly for myself. The important point to keep in mind here, he says, is that love is a virtue, not an emotion. Christians are not encouraged to feel warm and fuzzy about each other, or even to like one another. They're instructed to act lovingly towards one another. And thus, Paul's description of love in the hymn in First Corinthians 13 speaks about what love does and how it acts and not how it feels. Love is a virtue, not just an emotion. It's these qualities, these eight qualities that we've just looked at now, they are the mark of true Christian discipleship. These are the good fruits that a good tree brings forth In order to show that it really is a good tree. We think of Psalm 1, uh, a great psalm, that picture of the tree planted by the stream which yields fruit in season. That kind of person, that kind of Christian is the person who abounds in these Christian virtues. Now, I grew up in Australia, as you might be able to hear from my outrageous accent, I grew up on the Pacific coast, and uh, we'd often be at the beach in all the the school holidays, vacation time. We'd be playing, you know, in the rock pools with deadly animals. You know, what we did as kids. No. But when you go swimming at the beach in Australia, at least, and I'm sure this is similar in uh, many other parts of the world, we have what are called, we call them rips. A rip at an Australian beach is a strong undercurrent, so under the surface level of the waves. Kyle can confirm this. You can confirm this, yes. They have these in Adelaide too, apparently. And uh, these strong undercurrents, they're often parallel to the beach or they might be diagonal. They might pull you away from the beach. So you'd be there at the beach and you'd be body surfing or body boarding. And then after half an hour, you might look up and see that you were 200, 300, 400 meters further down the beach from when you came into the water. You could feel sometimes, you could feel the tug of this undercurrent, this rip, pulling you down the beach or pulling you further out toward the point. And I think this is a really good image and a good lesson for us in the spiritual life. There's no unaffected, mere treading of water in the spiritual life, just staying in one spot. You're either progressing forwards along this marathon of Christian virtue, making every effort, or else you're going to be being pulled away. You're going to be backsliding. This isn't a vacuum. And so the, the, real, the real question that I've asked myself this week in in regard to some of these virtues and then i want to ask you now is what, what am i pursuing or ask yourself this question what am i pursuing am i completely submitted to the lordship of christ seeking to follow his will know his word know his teaching be led by his spirit am i making in other words every effort to grow in christian virtue because you see growing in these things This is not a boring, optional, sidetrack, additional bonus course that you can do. This is really what it is key to an effective and fruitful Christian life. This is the key to an effective and fruitful Christian life, which is what we all want. I can't imagine there'd be anyone here who says, I don't want an effective and fruitful Christian life. I want to be ineffective and unproductive. We'd all say that, but what do our lives actually look like when we go home uh, on a Sunday evening and and live out the week on a Monday? I know so often I really needed a reminder, I can really use a reminder on Monday morning, hey Sam, you want an effective and fruitful Christian life, so get up and get going. And that's what we see here in verse 8 and then in verse 9. Let me read to you verse 8 again if you possess these qualities in increasing measure that is they're growing they're abounding they'll keep you from being ineffective and unproductive the original in the greek there is unfruitful in your knowledge of our lord jesus christ so growing in increasing in, abounding these in these things that's the key to an effective and fruitful christian life it's that simple if you will this is the key to an effective and fruitful Christian life. And an effective and fruitful Christian life is a life characterized by satisfaction in Christ, by joy in salvation. David speaks, David in the Old Testament speaks about, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. It's characterized by a clean conscience. There's no need to worry or, or, or be concerned before God. And therefore, these things lead to a powerful witness. powerful witness and a sure christian authority satan hates it when we don't satan hates it when we have a clean conscience when we have satisfaction in christ when we have joy in ourselves in our salvation because he knows if we hope if we have those things then we are really powerful in our testimony and witness to those around us in our lives and we have us when we, we speak and act with a certain spiritual authority that witness is broken and that authority Is broken when as we come here to verse 9 when we don't have these we become nearsighted and blind and we forget the basic foundation of our christian life namely that we've been cleansed from our past sins so again possessing these virtues is what effective discipleship and spiritual growth looks like and again the question is don't we all desire to be effective in our discipleship and spiritual growth. So let me press this point home now. This is the key to an effective and fruitful spiritual life for Christ. We need to recognize at this point that it's by Christ's divine power, again, coming back to that foundation, that promise, all things have been given to us that we need to live a life pleasing to God. They've all been given to us. They're not things we do in and of ourselves in order to earn that favor before God. Everything we need to live a life pleasing to God has been given to us out of God's grace. And so in the strength and in the power of that promise, let's go forward. That's what Peter said. Peter says, let's go forward. These things are the measure of Christian discipleship and Christian growth. So to come back to my cool title for the message tonight, How We Grow is How We Know. Again, Peter says here, if we don't have these things, it means we're blind and short-sighted. We actually begin to lose sight of spiritual reality. We've forgotten a whole lot of things, including the basics of our Christian life, that we've been washed clean of past sin. There's something seriously wrong. This cleansing here refers to, in verse 9, if you're following along, this cleansing here in verse 9 refers to our baptism, where the waters of baptism We saw that in 1 Peter, symbolize washing away of our sins, forgiveness, being united to Christ. And I thought about the the question this week, what does this actually mean? And I know from periods in my own life where I would say, verse 9 has applied to me, that when I'm nearsighted and blind and I forget that I've been washed clean of my sins, again, that doesn't mean I'm just neutrally treading water, not moving forward or backwards. It means for me, that I'm I'm sliding backwards, and I actually fall back into old patterns of sin. I think that's the way it goes. I think that's what Peter is saying here. If we forget these, th- if we don't have these things, we grow forgetful and we slide back into old patterns of sin, because we no longer value the, the preciousness of having our sins forgiven, of being washed clean, of being adopted as sons and daughters into the family of God, washed clean by the blood of Christ and and, and, um, treasuring these things is what leads us into worship of our God. So, if this is you, I can only warn you, this rip drawing you back, it will take you out to sea and it could well drown you. That's what Peter says here. But the greatest spiritual resource and power that I can offer you tonight is simply the gospel itself. That Jesus Christ is merciful and gracious and he offers to forgive you all your sin. To give you a fresh start, a clean slate, a new desire for him and for the spiritual life. And so again now in verse 10, the second appeal Peter says, using the same words almost that he used back in verse 5, because of this, make every effort to make your calling and election sure. Peter wants us, Peter wants you as Christians, to have confidence that your faith is real, that you really are Christ's disciples, that you truly belong to him, that you are his beloved sheep, that you're good trees bearing good fruit. And from this text we draw the truth that this is possible, it is possible to have assurance, it's possible to have this confidence and what a difference this confidence and assurance makes to our Christian life, to our testimony, to our witness, to our spiritual authority. And again, the way we do that, he says here in verse 10, is by if you do these things, That is, if we pursue spiritual growth, if we pursue these virtues, if we give all diligence to pursuing these things um, that Peter has given to us, that's how we have assurance. That's how we have confidence that we truly belong to Christ. And as we then live out the Christian life, we're confirming to each other and to ourselves, we're really called by Christ. We're really the elect of God. We're really... His disciples and he says here again if we do these things if we make this our priority then we'll never stumble this is the way to be sure that you will come to the end of that marathon that you will attain to the kingdom you'll never stumble if you do these things this is the key to the life of effective discipleship and spiritual growth And you will never stumble that doesn't mean that you'll never go through hard times or that you won't be confronted by difficulty or persecution that's not what peter means but he means you will never falter on the spiritual journey on the spiritual path this is the sure way indeed the only way to attain finally the eternal kingdom of our lord and savior jesus christ and it's interesting here the words are the same here in greek in verse 5, when he says, you make every effort to add, that word behind add, add knowledge to your faith or add goodness to your faith, and the word here, receive, you will receive a rich welcome into the kingdom. They're the same word. So Peter's using the word play here to show us if we, based on the precious promises of Christ that we looked at last week, if we therefore make every effort to add these things to our faith, then god will add to us a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of jesus christ again how we grow is how we know how we have confidence how we have assurance that we truly belong so i said uh, earlier i'd like to call the, the band now come back up i thought about it this week i prayed about it, and i think Many of us need and certainly. I include myself in that. We need to hear the force of this imperative. I think we all too often, which it's great that we are so grounded in being saved by faith alone, and we are not. One, we don't for a moment want to give that up, but we want to make sure that we understand that rightly. We're saved by faith alone, but not by a faith which is alone. True faith, living faith, like the tree that bears good fruit, good fruit will be visible in our lives. And that's what Peter is inviting and enjoining on us tonight. And so I I, I believe that that's God's word for this church this evening to hear the force of this text, to understand this is of true importance. This is of decisive importance. What are you putting your utmost effort into? Are you making every, every effort in your spiritual life, applying all diligence to do these things? We don't just become... Automatically more virtuous, as if God kind of intravenously infused goodness into us. Just like anything else, we have to use the gifts we've been given by God to make plans and expend effort. So I just want to encourage you um, tonight uh, with words from John's Gospel, uh, chapter 15, that I thought of just before the service. If you remember John's Gospel, chapter 15... Uh, Jesus says there to his disciples, he talks about himself as the true vine. Jesus says, I am the true vine. And he says then to his disciples, he says, without me, you can do nothing. That's true. That's true. But he says, if you remain in me, if you remain in me, if you remain connected to me, you will bear much fruit. That's the key for us. We want to remain in our Savior, Jesus Christ. And we will see that we will bear much fruit. We will see us grow in these virtues. Let me pray now to conclude. Lord Jesus, as we come to the end of the message tonight, and we want to worship you again in song, I want to draw us into worship by thanking you for your gracious provision that you have given us all things, everything we need to live the life of that you desire. You have not left us without anything, without anything that we need in any situation. You have given us everything we need. You've given us that by your divine power. And you've given us your precious promises that we can build our lives on you, trusting you, casting ourselves onto you, and having faith in you. And you desire that we would have this assurance, that we would have this confidence, that we would know that we truly belong to you. That we would have this joy and this peace, Lord God. I thank you that this text reveals how powerful you are, how merciful you are, how loving you are, how gracious you are. And I thank you that you have washed us clean of all our sins. That you have given us new life. And that you have effectively called us to inherit your kingdom. And so I pray now as we stand to sing these last songs that your spirit would minister to us now in this time of worship, confirming us, challenging us, comforting us where we need it, Lord God. And I pray this in Christ's name and for his glory. Amen.